right. So to recap the last couple of weeks, um, was everybody here for Michael McGurk's sessions? Um, okay. Wow. No, <laughs> there's only a couple of you. <laughs> I think I saw y'all on that front row. Um, he talked about mercy and truth. He talked about the altar and our cross. I thought it was really, really good stuff. Um, so I'm going to recap some of that, and then I'm going to move into our topic. But let me ask you a question, all right? This is a legitimate question, and I expect an answer. This is not um, just throwing it out there rhetorically. What is one thing that you can be sure of in life? Hmm? Anything else? Does anybody else have one thing that they're sure of in life? Taxes. Wow. Well, there it is. Death and taxes. That's what they say. Ding, ding, ding. You got it right, Brother Lewis. There is literally one thing. Did you know that? Think about it. There's one thing you know will happen one day that you can be 100% sure could happen to you one day. Yes, of course, we all want to be raptured. Hallelujah. But... There's one thing we know for certain, correct? So what do we do with everything else? He says we throw it out the window. That's not quite what I was thinking. Give it to goodwill. Well, you guys are like conmarrying or something. What is happening here? That does not spark joy. You are going. And by the way, you can't conmar your children. So, oh, son, you are not sparking joy today. You're going to the goodwill. Um, sorry if you don't know what that means. Um, anyway, I digress. What do we do with everything else in our life? How do we accept it? Hmm. Pastor? What do we need to have to accept everything else? If we can only be sure of death, how can we attempt to be sure of everything else? Of God, of the word of God. Bingo. Faith. You literally take everything else in your life on faith. That's how you process Believe it or not, you know, I love a pastor was preaching a couple of weeks ago about trust. And, and it really is true. Like we do really don't have trust and faith issues because you get onto an airplane and you just trust that that pilot is going to take you where you need to go. I mean, we really don't have trust issues. We have trust in God issues. Um, and we have trust in other people issues too, but it's very similar, though. Faith is very similar to that. Um, so faith is a huge component to overcoming hurt. Huh. So I'm going to explain what that means. If you think about these last few weeks, we've learned uh, ways, different ways to overcome it. Hopefully something has stuck with you and you kind of grabbed a hold of that. Like I said from the beginning, I think that people process things differently. So one thing might really stand out to you as a way to overcome more than another thing for another person. I think there's various ways to go through this journey. Um, 
And so, but I think that faith is quite possibly the most important way to overcome. And I'm going to explain what I mean. So to overcome hurts, you need to forgive the person who wounded you. We learned about that. Here's our recap. We learned we need forgiveness. We've got to forgive the person who wounded you. You need to have mercy towards the person who wounded you. We learned about that. We need to stop running from our pain. Learned about that last week. We learned about accepting our cross, that sometimes our cross, that we're put on that cross from another person, by another person, um, and and we don't need to run from that pain. You know, I... I um, I don't know if anybody's ever heard this before, but your wisdom teeth, um, they're technically called wisdom teeth because you get them in your wiser years. That's debatable. I'm not sure I've met a wise 17-year-old. I'm just saying. He's not in here, so I can say that. I'm not quite sure I've seen, I've met a wise 17 year old that, I mean, they think they're wise. Mm-hmm, Matthew, I see that. Are you 17 or 18? Yeah. So when you're 18, you'll be wise, right? Yeah, exactly. I'll be praying for you, brother and sister Lewis. I always tell my kids I may not be smarter than you, but I am wiser than you. Um, so, that's what they say. That's why they're called that. But do you know, I've heard this before, that they're called your wisdom teeth because if you allow them to come in, it's extremely painful. And that sometimes it's through pain that we gain wisdom. Hmm. Yeah. The, oh, she just woke up. That girl, I'm going to need some more of that. Come on. Y'all were getting with Michael McGurk now. Come on. Um, So it really is oftentimes through pain that we get wisdom. Um, So we've learned about all those things. But my question to you tonight is what if your hurt, what if your offenses are toward God? Hmm. Can I forgive God? I think most of you would probably say yes, because if you really think about forgiveness, if forgiveness, according to what I taught a few weeks ago, is really not truly about what the other person has done or not done to you, that forgiveness is really about setting yourself free, Um, then perhaps I would say you can forgive God, quote-unquote. If it sort of is a feeling that you have that you are sort of letting God off the hook, you know. But what I'm going to propose to you tonight is that God is not and cannot be accused of any wrongdoing in our life. And, and the idea of forgiving God, it's a, it's, it's an interesting thought because of course we can't forgive sins. 
that's not in our power. We can't do that. So the idea of forgiving God who has all power and who is the only one who can forgive sins sounds kind of off. Like, how, how can we do that? But I understand the concept of at some point you sort of have to let it all go. Like the things that you think have happened in your life, um, and you kind of let that go. But, you know, we, we're, we hear the question, it might even be the name of a book or something, I've said, but we've heard that question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? I want to propose to you that that is just a flawed question. So let's just take apart the, the one part. Why do bad things happen to what kind of people? Good people. And what does that Bible of yours say? There's none good. No, not one. Now, can we do good things? Sure. We are capable of having good actions. We are capable. But in and of ourselves, we are not good. God is the only truly good, and I'll say person here just just for the sake of, you know, the argument. He is truly the only good person that you will ever know. All right? So I'm setting a few premises here to take you, to walk you through this. I'm going to propose that further that's a flawed question because did you know that you can get to the place where you don't even look at the things in your life as bad things? Huh. (laughs) How is that possible? How is that even possible to change your perspective so much about God And his goodness, God is good, God is right, God is just. So to actually ask that question, then why do bad things happen to me, good person, good Angie over here, how can those bad things happen? It's an interesting concept. Ultimately, the way that we overcome hurt that was allowed by God, and we know that hurt comes into our life allowed by God. Does anybody know the ultimate way to get to get over that hurt? I'm just having a big group session tonight. You guys are like, you're not too sure how you feel about this. You'd rather have Michael up here preaching. Yeah. Absolutely. Sister Krieger just said it, Repentance. Because ultimately what you're doing is accusing God that he did something bad in your life. And oh my goodness, (laughs) that is just not the place that I need to be at. Wow, how can I possibly accuse God of anything, any wrongdoing or any bad in my life? That, That is just... So things happen in your life and our perception is such... That we get really mad at God. I mean, it's really, it happens on a regular basis. It happens with the unsaved. It happens with the saved. It just happens in the sea of humanity. 
the infamous why, God. Why? The infamous why. I, um, I'm going to read to you about John the Baptist tonight. Matthew 11 and 2. Now, John the Baptist, of course, we know, um, was the one who preached and prepared the way for the Messiah, correct? We also know that he's actually Jesus' cousin, right? Does everybody know that? Um, And so John the Baptist finds himself, he's very similar in age to Jesus, and he finds himself being thrown into prison. And here we find John. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, oh, and he sent two of his disciples to Jesus. And they said unto him, art thou he that should come or do we look for another? So here John is sitting in prison and he sends his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you actually the Messiah? Because I am Definitely not sure about that right now. And Jesus answered them and says, Go show John again that those things which you do hear and see, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And here's the key if you want to change your perception. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. I'm going to read. I This book fell into my lap. <laughs> and um, I have not even read the beginning of this book. I'm just going to tell you all that. This book literally fell into my lap, and I read the last part of it, and I felt the Holy Ghost so strongly say to me that this is our topic for the night. Blessed is he who shall not be offended in me. I heard pastor say one time, I don't know if it was a version or what, but blessed is he who is not offended in the way that I run your life. Um, but I'm just, I, I wanted, I, I've, I've, this was my attempt at just kind of prepping you for this, but I'm going to read you this book because it is so well written that it would just be it would do it a disservice to not just read it outright um it's going to take a couple of minutes i'm going to read several pages here's the interesting thing i had no idea that pastor i don't this i had no idea pastor read this book and he was planning to put it on the grow cards so i literally had no idea i just happened to to find that out today and so i'm giving you the punchline And, Pastor, when you said you feel like we should just order a bunch and get them out there, I absolutely agree. This book will take you about less than two hours to read if you're a fast reader, even less. Um, Super simple book. So this, it's called The Prisoner in the Third Cell by Gene Edwards. If you're familiar with A Tale of Three Kings, he's the same author. Has anybody read this book? Okay. So I am basically reading you the punchline, but that's okay. So when you get the book, I want you to start from the beginning and go ahead and read it all through. But um, it is written in story form, which is another reason why I want to go ahead and just read it to you. Because, well, I like telling stories too. So, But um, 
It's just so well written and you're going to see. And I'm going to try to not be as emotional when I read it to you as I was when I read it because it's, it's extremely convicting. So here we go. Yes, I have to wear my glasses for this. Okay. So I'm going to pick up the story where John has just sent the disciples, his some of his disciples, to go ask Jesus if he is the Messiah or not. So there's a couple of people, characters, and I'm assuming these are just fictional characters that the author created for the sake of a storyline. But there's a guy named Nadab. It doesn't really matter. I don't. We don't need to know necessarily who that is. It's just one of the guys in the story. So we're going to pick up the story here. The three disciples of John squatted down on the slimy floor of the dungeon that had become become John's home. Teacher, we have seen your cousin. Well, did you ask him my question? We did. And his answer? Teacher, the answer is very strange. We do not understand it. John sighed. It was as though he was he knew that this would be Nadab's response. And his reply? Teacher, he said to tell you that the blind and the dumb and the crippled receive sight and hearing and healing, and then he said to tell you that the good news is proclaimed and received with joy. John turned those words over in his mind very slowly for several minutes. His brow wrinkled. The prisoner leaned forward and asked, is that all? No, teacher, he said one other thing, and then he dismissed the crowd and bade us farewell. But he said, what, what he said was, tell John... Blessed is he who is not offended with me. There was a long silence as three men studied the face of John, hoping to glimpse his reaction to these words. But as always, there was none. Finally, John queried, where is my cousin? In a village in Galilee called Nain, responded Nadab. There were sick people everywhere. Streets, lanes, alleys were all filled with people wanting to be healed. The place was overrun with suffering souls. Were they being healed? John asked. Yes, teacher, many were being healed. With those words, John's interest quickened, his frame straightened. Did you say many? responded John. Yes, teacher, many. Many? he asked again. Nadab was puzzled. Yes, he answered. Many were being healed. Many, repeated John quietly to himself. Then he leaned forward. Many, but not all. For a brief instant, Nadab was at a loss as to what John was saying. Then his own eyes lit up, revealing the shock of what John was observing. Yes, you're right. There were many who were being healed, but not all. Not all. John stared vacantly into space. He had at last found the answer to the questions which had troubled him so deeply about Jesus. Or had he simply added more questions to his dilemma? At that very moment, there was someone else who was struggling with the same dilemma. Leave me, said Jesus to his companions. With those words, Jesus wandered off to a sequestered place to be alone. Never before in all his 31 years, nor in all his pre-existence in eternity, had he ever longed so intensely to answer the cry and the question of someone struggling to understand the mysterious ways of his God. 
If ever there was a time for him to give a clear answer, if ever there was a person to whom he should speak clearly, surely the time was now, and the person was John. If any man ever lived who had a right to have an explanation given to him, that man was his own flesh and blood, his only cousin. John, your pain is great. I feel it. Tonight, you so desperately need to understand me to fathom my ways to peer into the riddle of my sovereignty. Your heart is breaking. But John, you are not the first to have this need. You are but one in a long train of humankind stretching across all the centuries of man who have called out to me with questions and doubts. You are but one voice among so many who wonder and who agonize over my ways. With those words spoken, a scene of an event that had taken place long ago began to emerge before the eyes of our Lord. Jesus shuddered, and before him was Egypt. The Lord of time stepped into the streets of the city of Pharaoh I have been here before. I've walked down these streets, listened to the quiet cries, the murmurings, the prayers of my people held here in slavery. The Lord paused and looked about. He could clearly hear every prayer being prayed. They seemed to be lifted up to him in harmony with their rustling chains. You who are descendants of a man named Jacob, you have cried out to me for so long, suffered so long, and wept so long. You have lifted your faces to heaven for years without number, but our heaven, the heavens are stone. It appears that your God has gone deaf. You have been born into slavery. You have grown up, cried out for freedom, and then died with your prayers not even being answered. Your children came along to take your place. We're fettered the same way with chains. They too cried out for deliverance and they too died with their chains still forged to their wrists. And the Lord walked on. Your children's children have grown old. They have come to me with their prayers myriads of times calling out, God, deliver us from the Pharaoh, deliver us from the slave master. Oh, our God, lead us back to our homeland. But I did not answer, not so much as one word. And so it continued for you and your offspring for 12 generations. I left you in slavery for almost 400 years. Never once in all that time were your prayers answered. You cried out to me, but I did not respond. No clear word, no insight into my ways, no explanation of my purposes. No reasons were given why I did not answer your cries. Your hearts were broken before me, but my heart was broken before with yours after 400 years there were still men and women who were believing in me and after 400 years of not hearing from me you still believed at that moment came a piercing cry it was the voice of a mother oh god if you are there will you not answer tomorrow the beautiful this beautiful child will be taken from my arms forever he will be shackled enslaved and forever doomed to make bricks beside the Nile. I will die never to see my child again. He will grow old and die in chains that were, are forged upon his wrists. Will you not hear my cry? The eyes of the Lord filled with tears. Oh, Israel, you are confronted with one simple fact. Oh, woman, like all those before you, you, like my cousin John, rotting in a pit, have come face to face with one stark truth. Your God has not lived up to your expectations. My goodness. 
I don't know if I'm the only one feeling the Holy Ghost, but the scene changed, and one more time, the place was Egypt. It was so many years into the future, and on this occasion, the Lord of time stepped in into an unfolding drama that was a scene not of slavery but of death. Women were frantically running down the streets with Egyptian soldiers in pursuit. Every newborn Hebrew male child would be slain that day. That is all but one. The one lone survivor would grow up to save Israel from Egypt. But these panic-stricken mothers did not know this. They would live out their entire lives without even knowing, without even one of them knowing that 80 years hence, God would avenge the death of their children and set Israel free. My God, they do not know, he sighed. They will know, but they will not know here on this earth. All they will ever know in this lifetime is that I did not come to them in their hour of greatest need. My God. Today they, like all others, have met a God that they do not understand. I don't know if this book is for one person tonight or if it is just for me, but I want you to hear the message and hear the words. If you are hurting and you feel offended with a God that you think is unfair, this book is for you tonight. If you truly want to overcome your hurts, you need to hear this message. So it has been in all the past, so it will be throughout all ages to come. The scene changed again. The Lord of space and time was back in Galilee again, alone. And once more he spoke. If I ever cared for those who lived in slavery in Egypt, if I ever cared for Job on his ash heap, or Jeremiah in his miry pit, if I ever cared for my people when the armies of Nebuchadnezzar surrounded Jerusalem and carried them off to slavery, if I ever longed to give answer and explanation, if there was one day above all others that I would speak, today would be that day. This day I have flesh and blood. I have a human mother who loved Elizabeth and who loves Elizabeth's son, John. She does not wish to see him die. And like all others, she wants so much to understand. Today I have brothers and I have sisters. I am an earthen man with blood coursing through my veins, with human emotions, with family responsibilities. John and I are the elder sons of our two families. It is with human eyes I watch this unholy deed of Herod. But that is not all. Everywhere I look to see my people caught up in circumstances not of their own making. If ever there has been a moment I have longed to answer the questions of any man or woman, it is now and it is to you, John. I want to give an explanation of my ways. John, I walked, I watched you walk into that desert as a 12 year old child. I saw you, your days turned to weeks and weeks turned to years as you fasted, as you ate the scraps of the desert, as you closed yourself. With the desert's waste, I have watched your soft skin turn to leather. I have seen you age inordinately. Your faithfulness to me is without parallel. And not since Eve bore her first man-child was there ever a man like you. 
I gave you a task greater than the one I gave to Moses. You are a prophet greater than any who has ever come before. But most of all, you are my kin. You are my own flesh and blood. If ever, ever I wanted to give answer to a man's question to explain my sovereign ways, it is today. Yet I have been to you as to all others. A Lord not fully understood, a God who rarely makes clearly exactly what he is doing in the life of one of his children. I'm almost done. As day dawned in the village of Nain, the multitude that had gathered there the night before received an unbearable shock. Jesus had departed the village the night before, and soon after he dismissed the crowd for the evening, he was gone and nowhere to be seen, to be found. They, that morning, a mother who had come all the way from Damascus carrying her crippled child would begin the long trek back home, still carrying a beloved child with a never-to-be-healed twisted foot. Throughout all the rest of her long life, this mother would wonder, why, Lord? Why the Lord had not waited just a few more minutes before dismissing the crowd because she was next in line. And blessed are you if you are not offended with me. That same morning, an old man was guided back to his home by a friend, there to ever wonder until the day he died what sight might have been like if only he had been able to reach the master just a few minutes earlier. But his destiny would forever be a life of darkness and wondering. And blessed is he who is not offended with me. A sick baby will die. An epileptic child will go on having seizures as long as he lives. A fevered young girl will suffer weeks of pain before she gains her health. A deaf mute will spend the rest of his life begging at the city gate. These and many others with even more tragic stories, departed the village of Nain that morning, each so downcast that words could not express their feelings of hopelessness. Worst of all, from God came no explanation concerning his ways. Many were healed, but not all. And blessed is the man who is not offended with me. Protheus pushed open the heavy prison door and stepped out into the sunlight to escape the stench of the dungeon and for a moment to breathe fresh air. Immediately, the music from Herod's palace caught his ear. Herod was giving a huge banquet for his friends that evening. Honoring his own birthday, recalled Protheus. There would be revelry. There would be. Suddenly, a cold chill gripped him. It would be just like Herod to haul John the Baptist up to the banquet hall to make sport of him. That is exactly what he will do. Protheus rolled around and rushed back into the prison. He wanted to warn John about what might happen to him before the evening was over. But before he could reach John's cell, he felt a strong hand on his shoulder. He turned. It was one of Herod's personal bodyguards. It's it's John, is it not? You have come for John. Herod is going to make sport of him. He said it's far worse than that, replied the bodyguard, betraying his own apprehension. Far, far worse than that. Salome, the daughter of Herod's wife, has just danced for the guest, and Herod is drunk. And in his stupor, he offered Salome anything she wanted up to half his kingdom. 
She in turn inquired of of her mother just what to ask for in the presence of so lucrative an offer. The bodyguard paused. Protheus, it seems that tonight Herod's guest will not be entertained by making sport of John. No, it will be far more worse. It will be far worse than that. John's head is to be brought into the banquet room on a platter. Protheus lost his balance, his eyesight blurred. The bodyguard grabbed his arm and studied him. The same thing happened to me when I heard. What now? I would say that John has less than five minutes to live. Bring him to me. May the gods have mercy on us. And if there be but one God, and if that God be the God of the Jews, we would be fools to believe he would show pity on us for what we are about to do. John, they've come for you. Much sooner than you had thought, in a few minutes you will be no more. There is no time to send word to your disciples, nor to my mother Mary, who has worried so much for your safety. You will not be given opportunity of even a single word to anyone, nor will you be able to ask again the question you addressed to me. In less than four minutes now, you will be dead. How many thoughts can be crowded into one's mind in four minutes? How many doubts, how many questions? Not many, but John, worst of all, there will be no answers. And blessed are you, John, if you are not offended with me. They have unshackled you. The staircase is before you. The door is open. You can see the light of day above you. Why is this happening to you, John? You of all people, your head severed from your body. Why? Because of an obscene dance by a teenage girl. How ironic. You will never live to see your 33rd birthday, nor will you know exactly why I have called you. Nor will you know if your life on this earth counted for anything. Those long years in the searing desert, you denied yourself of everything this earth affords, except for food and water, and only enough of that to keep you alive. And you did all this for me. And yet, as you face death, there is no evidence that your life has anything but wasted. Have I forsaken you in the hour you needed me most? And blessed are you if you are not offended with me. You will not see the multitudes cry out in jubilation at my entry into Jerusalem. Neither will you see me crucified, nor hear of my resurrection and my triumph over death. You will die not knowing that you have proclaimed the coming of no less than the Son of God. Death is but a few seconds away, and still there is no answer to your question. You will not die. You will die not understanding And blessed are you, John, if you are not offended with me. They've opened the gate to the courtyard, and there it is, the block on which you will lay your head. And there the man who will take your life. You will be remembered as one of the greatest men who ever lived, but you will not know that. Nor will you hear the Son of God say, Of men born of women there was none greater than John. Even now as you kneel, you wonder if you are a complete failure. You gave so much, poured into, poured out your life so completely, lived for God so singularly, yet despite all this, you could not so much as win the favor of God to the point of him giving you one answer to that one question. It was, after all, the only request you ever made. 
And when I called you, John, and told you that you would announce the coming of the Messiah, you assumed that because you were going to prepare the way for me, you would have seen the joy of that wonderful day of my coming in glory. But today you have met a God that you do not understand. Such is the mystery of my sovereignty. Such are my ways in every generation. No man has ever understood me, not fully. No man ever will. I will always be something other than what men expect me to be. I will work out my will in ways different from what men foresee. The guard has shifted his weight. The blade is raised above you. Death stands beside you. Die, my brother John, in the presence of a God who did not live up to your expectations. And blessed are you if you are not offended in me. I can't really see y'all's faces through my glasses. I don't know if you're hanging with me or not. Shall we scorn what God has revealed? Shall we scorn that God has revealed so little concerning his ways? Or rejoice that he has revealed so much? A day like that which awaited John awaits us all. It is unavoidable because every believer imagines his God to be a certain way. And is quite sure that his Lord will do certain things under certain conditions. But your Lord is never quite what you imagined him to be. You have now come face to face with a God whom you do not fully understand. You have met a God who has not lived up to your expectations. Every believer must come to grips with a God who did not do things quite the way it was expected. You're going to get to know your Lord by faith, or you will not know him at all. Faith in him and trust that is in him and not in his ways. My God, do you realize the power in that? We have faith and trust in him, not in his ways, in him. His ways are so much higher than our ways. I'm reading to somebody tonight who is struggling with faith in a God who can do bad things. I'm challenging you tonight to change your perspective that God does not do bad things. That he is so good. The only thing that comes from his hand is good in your life. And the only thing that needs to change in your life is your perspective. Trusting and having faith in a God that you do not understand. Today you are resentful of those who so callously hurt you. But are you really? No, not really. You're not hurt by those people. The truth is you are angry with God because ultimately you are not dealing with men. You are dealing with the sovereign hand of your Lord. Behind all events, behind all things, there is always his sovereign hand. The question is not why is God doing this? Why is he like this? The question is not why does he not answer me? The question is not, I need him desperately. Why does he not come to my rescue? 
The question is not why did God allow this tragedy to happen to me? Why did it happen to my children, to my wife, to my husband, to my family? Nor is the question why does God allow injustices? The question before the house is this. Will you follow a God you do not understand? Will you follow a God who does not live up to your expectations? Your Lord has put something in your life which you cannot bear. The burden is simply too great. He is never supposed, he was never supposed to do this. But the question remains, will you continue to follow this God who did not live up to your expectations? Blessed are you if you are not offended with me. Oh, God, forgive us. Captain, the third cell is empty. It will not be empty for long. I have just received word that we are to receive a new prisoner. What is this one done? I don't know. There's always the possibility that this one is just as innocent as John. The soldier's response was simple. I hate having such prisoners. We have a prisoner in in the first cell who rails against unfairness, against men, and against circumstances. Can you give me a tissue, Pastor? We have a prisoner in the second cell who's hostile toward God because of what God has done to him. Well, the new prisoner has arrived, called a voice at the head of the stairs. Take the rope, said Protheus to the guard. Lower the prisoner into the miry pit. I'm sorry, I'm trying not to do that in the mic. Who is this prisoner? Who is this one who will now be imprisoned in the third cell? What name will be inscribed behind the cell door? One thing is certain. It was inevitable that this person be sent here. It's inevitable. It's unavoidable. And it's a sovereign act of God. The prisoner's name, surely the question is not necessary. You are the prisoner. And blessed are you if you are not offended with me. Cousin? Yes, John. Jesus? Yes, John, it's I, my Lord, and my God. I had so many questions as I faced death. So did I when I faced death. Just as I did not answer you, neither did my father answer me. We died in quite similar ways. My God. You died? You died as ignominiously as I did? Yes, John, but I rose from the dead. You rose from the dead? But how? Come, Brother John, take my hand. The moment has come. I will now take you to that place where you know even as you are known. Dear reader, no one can fully understand the pain you feel as you suffer your present situation. 
Whether it came upon you because of circumstances or by the deeds of men, one thing is certain. Before this present tragedy entered into your life, it passed through the hand of a sovereign God. And blessed is the man who is not offended in me. My God. Why don't we just take a moment? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I've read that like three times now. And I have repented every single time I've read that. Jesus, you are sovereign, but you are un- you are misunderstood. Forgive me, Jesus, for even trying to attempt to understand your greatness and your goodness. Forgive me, Jesus, for charging you so wrongly, so falsely. You can do only good in my life. And though I've suffered at the hands of many people, I've been hurt. I've been offended. Nothing that has happened to me in my life has not passed through your great hand. Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. God, I want to overcome. I want to be an overcomer. And you're showing us tonight how to do it. You're showing us how to overcome. By changing our perception of you. By serving you no matter what. By following you, God, even when you do not meet my expectations. I will follow you anywhere. I will trust you and your goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.